I'll do. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Good morning, everybody. It's Friday morning. We don't usually do these on Friday morning, but uh, everything is pushed back a day this week. And maybe on your drive in to work, your commute into work, you can uh, listen in, ask some questions about the 49ers and the Vikings who are going to be playing on Monday night. In Minneapolis, Matt, I took a look at the weather in Minneapolis. It's going to be a little chilly. It's not going to be dead of winter yet. Now, for the purposes of football, that doesn't matter. The game is inside. But just for our purposes, as we head over there, uh, get ready for the fall to happen. Because I know it was 90 degrees out on the practice field in Santa Clara the other day. So fall hasn't quite hit the Bay Area yet, although I think it's cooled off. But another big road trip for the 49ers here as they try to bounce back from their first loss of the season. Yeah, we're lucky because I think uh, mid-October, we're starting to get into late October, <laughs> that's when winter can can very much strike in uh, in Minnesota. So uh, it wouldn't be out of the norm to have their sort of first uh, snowstorm of the year, but that's not happening. It's a, it's a terrific stadium. Um, I know that you're excited to to see that. It's one of those, um, you know, stadiums where the press box is basically – in the stands, uh, not uh, uh, separated by a thick pane of glass, so you you feel what uh, what the stadium is feeling, what the players are feeling. You feel the atmosphere there, uh, so it's a great uh, it's a great place to be. It's a great place to cover a game. And David, we've got uh, a little bit of drama here uh, this week that the the 49ers really have mostly avoided. Um, you had the uh, sort of uh, you know, week, uh, what was it, week three where Brandon Ayuk didn't play and um, there was a week four game against the Cardinals where we were unsure about Debo Samuel. This week we're unsure about three main guys, um, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, and Trent Williams, none of whom practiced on Thursday. Uh, we're speaking prior to the Friday practice, which this week, is going to be the key practice. I mean, usually if the guy doesn't practice on the uh, the second day of the week, that's the longest practice. Um, that's the real sort of true warm-up for the game. If, that, uh, if a player doesn't practice then, then he's either not going to play or he's not going to have a big role, which is uh, what uh, Debo Samuel had in week four. No targets in that game after he missed the second practice of the week. Uh, so today is going to be telling um, what's your feel for, let's just start with, uh, McCaffrey. That's the, that's the biggest one because, uh, uh, obviously this offense has hinged on him this year. What are you thinking about Christian McCaffrey and his availability for the Vikings? I'm feeling no, that's just, and again, this is just based on my read of the situation, being around the building, reading what Kyle Shanahan is saying, reading what, what John Lynch is saying. And just kind of reading the tea leaves, right, uh, behind all of that. So my feeling would be no on McCaffrey, although it sounds like it still might be possible. But I think that even even if he's saying, hey, I want to play, I'm ready to go, uh, it is it might be in the 49ers' interest to, to hold him back here and uh, just focus on getting fully healthy because they're in this for the marathon, not the sprint. We talked about before the Browns game, they won the sprint, right? They were the best team in the NFL through the first five games. 
Uh, but it was about winning the marathon, and that that could take 20 games over the course of the regular season and the playoffs. So that needs to be the focus for the 49ers, and uh, they'll probably firmly decide this over the course of the weekend. But um, right now, I would think that you know just my appraisal of the situation would be no on McCaffrey. As far as Debo Samuel goes, he was on Kay Adams' show the other day, and First, he said that it was a stinger, and then she pressed him and said, well, whoa, well, well, was it a stinger? And then, then he said that he didn't know if it was a stinger. If it was a stinger against the uh, Cleveland Browns, then uh, it would stand the reason that, that there's a better chance that Debo Samuel plays in this game than Christian McCaffrey, whose, whose injury is an oblique injury. And then as far as Trent Williams goes, uh, I think that he did not look good after that ankle injury. And it's hard to look good against Miles Garrett and historically good Cleveland Browns defense so far. But we, we're not accustomed to seeing Trent Williams get beaten uh, on multiple dropbacks in a row. And that's exactly what happened against Miles Garrett. So I think he was toughing out that ankle injury. And I think that that might lead to him getting a, a little bit of time off here to fully heal up. That being said, Zadarius Smith leads the NFL in sacks for the Vikings. And he lines up primarily, uh, well, he lines up primarily against right tackle, but he lines up also a little bit against the left side. And if it's Jalen Moore instead of Trent Williams against Minnesota, I think that we might see a little bit of a 50-50 balance from, from uh, did, uh, did I just say Zadarius Smith? Uh, from Daniil Hunter. Daniil Hunter is uh, the, the Vikings edge rusher. Zadarius Smith used to be with the Vikings, but Daniil Hunter leading the league with eight sacks, I, I think would line up against both sides against the 49ers. Uh, with a little bit more regularity, and that could test Jalen Moore if he does indeed have to replace Trent Williams on Monday night. Yeah, well, I uh, I agree with you. Um, you know, uh, Kyle Shanahan. Anybody who watched his uh, uh, presser yesterday, uh, a little bit squirrely when it came to details about Christian McCaffrey. Um, after the game, he had said, well, immediately after the game, he had said rib slash oblique. And then the day after the game, he said, well, we don't really know if it's uh, rib or oblique. That's what uh, the MRI is, is going to show. And then he definitely tried to dance around that uh, yesterday. He did mention that it's only oblique as the, uh, as the reason for the injury. My point being, I think when the rib is involved, um, it's a lot more painful. And, um, you know, uh, it's a lot more of uh of an issue especially for a running back so um i I think it's probably something that uh somebody could deal with via a painkiller that's what brock purdy did with the same injury last year in seattle and you know before that game brock purdy couldn't even throw i mean he couldn't he literally couldn't throw a, a ball down the field he had the pain blocker and then he had a you know i don't want to say spectacular game but a, a very very strong game um, that's the one where Al Michael says, uh, does this guy look like he's in his fifth year or what? Um, and, um, so, I mean, it's possible to, uh, sort of get, uh, on top of that pain for a three hour period, but this also is a, uh, a running back and he's going to get a lot of hits. And then you can argue that that's why, uh, he, he has the injury in the first place. He's just gotten a lot of blows this season. So, uh, it's a different animal. Uh, Lynch did say he was on KNBR just a little while ago that uh, they have to kind of keep in mind uh, the rest of the season. 
um, you know, for all of these guys and, and whether they're doing any uh, extra harm in this game. So all that is going to be um, in play. Um, like I said, uh, today's practice, I think, will be very telling as far as who's out there and who's not out there. Yeah, that, that Thursday practice, which is technically on, on Friday this week, always seems to give us that idea because that's when, the, you know, it's the heavy practice. That's when they they rehearsed the, the majority of the plays they installed on Wednesday or in this case, Thursday. And I think, you know, last week you looked at the dynamic, Matt. They lost both Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey. And if you talk to a lot of the 49ers, I think John Lynch just said this on KMBR, when you lose those guys, midstream in a game it, it it's much more impactful in a negative way than if you know they're going to be out heading into the game because the entire game plan is is built around them it was last week there it was a heavy McCaffrey Debo Samuel game plan you saw from snap one when they ran the jet sweep to Debo Samuel what they wanted to do they wanted to try to stretch out this Cleveland defense they wanted to take advantage of some over aggressiveness that they saw up front uh, by running to the perimeter, and then obviously Debo was hurt on that first snap, so that that uh, plan was scuttled right away. But anyway, if you can't practice today, then you can't really be integrated into the game plan the way that that Kyle Shanahan wants to integrate you into the game plan. So it just becomes a whole lot harder um, to become a featured weapon on game day, right? I think when Debo Samuel did end up playing against the Arizona Cardinals with very, very minimal practice. He showed up in the final practice of the week. He ended up being more of a decoy because they weren't able to I truly integrate him as a top option, nor did they want to, I think, coming off of that injury. So that's why the Thursday slash, in this case, Friday practice is so important for the 49ers. I personally think, Matt, that if you get one of the two to play, Debo or McCaffrey, you could maintain most of your playbook, maybe all of it. I don't know, but I think most of it because th- these guys are both adaptable skill position weapons, and that's what Shanahan's offense is all about. Debo is a running uh, is a wide receiver who could play running back, and Christian McCaffrey is a running back who could play receiver. And the formational adaptability that you get from that diverse skill set is what really makes this 49ers offense tick. It's an embarrassment of riches when you have both of them. And then you could probably run some really cool stuff like we saw against the Cowboys with the the double pitch flea flicker. But if you have just one of them, I think that you could still maintain a lot of the basic elements of, of what Kyle Shanahan is trying to run. When you don't have either of them and when you lose both of them midstream, like the 49ers did against the Browns down the stretch, I think that's when it really becomes problematic. So I think right now the 49ers are hoping that at least one of the two uh, is available. And if I just had to read the room, I think that Debo Samuel might be more likely to play on Monday. But I don't base that on any hard information. I just base that on speculation uh, that, that, that's coming from what you know we've heard from Kyle Shanahan and company so far this week. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, and I get your point. I mean, we saw the... The 49ers lean very heavily on Debo Samuel uh, in 2021. He he basically got them into the playoffs. They've been leaning uh, in a similar fashion on Christian McCaffrey since the uh, the end of last season and this season so far. So uh, having one of those guys back uh, will be extremely helpful. Let's just uh, throw out the scenario of 
McCaffrey not playing. Um, I, uh, I asked Kyle Shanahan um, on Monday, um, you know, what he thought about Jordan Mason. Um, you know, we, we watched Jordan Mason. Um, Jordan Mason came in on the, on the very first series after that long McCaffrey run. Uh, McCaffrey needed a blow, and so Mason was out there for him. I thought that that was telling. I thought the fact that um, that final drive uh, where, uh, you know, they, they had to have points, McCaffrey's out of the game at that point. Uh, it's Jordan Mason who comes in and um, gets a few carries on that kind of uh, pivotal uh, final drive of the fourth quarter. So I thought that that was a sign that, okay, Mason has finally convinced this team that he can be the guy. Uh, so I asked uh, Shanahan that, and he, he basically answered it by saying, uh, we have a lot of faith in Elijah Mitchell. Elijah Mitchell's done a lot of great things for this team. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy. So I took that to, to mean that uh, if, if there's no McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell is healthy, and this week, right now, as we're, as we're, as we're talking right now, David, he's healthy, uh, it's going to be Elijah Mitchell in that lead role. Now, I don't think that his lead role and, and Elijah Mitchell lead role is commensurate with a Christian McCaffrey lead role. So I don't think he'll get quite the share of touches that McCaffrey gets. Uh, and that Mason will be sprinkled in, but um, no McCaffrey. I'm I'm looking at this as a uh, as an Elijah Mitchell game. I know a lot of fantasy people uh, will w- would be interested in that, um, and and that's where things were pre McCaffrey. That's that's how the 49ers went into the 2022 season, um, thinking that Mitchell is going to be the guy. Mitchell hurt his knee in that first game in Chicago. And uh, was never the guy from that point forward. Um, but um, my point being is that the 49ers have had this scenario before and have been very happy uh, with that scenario as long as Elijah Mitchell is healthy. Yeah, and remember last week, Elijah Mitchell didn't join the team for practice until Thursday. So he missed one of the sessions. So I think that might help explain why he wasn't the go-to guy on that final drive. It, it underscores the point that I made the last time that I spoke here a few minutes ago. Um, the, the practice week is so important as far as installation of plays and uh, comfort with different options. So if Jordan Mason was practicing more than Elijah Mitchell coming off the injury last week, then Jordan Mason was going to be the go-to guy. Uh, I, I do agree that when it comes to Mitchell's number one role, if if that is indeed the case on Monday night in Minnesota, it's not the same as a McCaffrey number one role. I would think that it would be a, more of a split load between Elijah Mitchell and uh, Jordan Mason in this game. And there's comparative strengths for both of these players, right? For Elijah Mitchell, he's more of a prototypical outside zone runner, although the 49ers do like his ability to be physical and run inside. But Jordan Mason's a bigger back who specializes on uh, some of those interior runs because he dishes out punishment when he runs downhill. So the 49ers have a place for both of these running backs. And if Christian McCaffrey can't go, I do think it's going to be a split load. One of the questions here from Dan B is, has J.P. Mason really not proven enough to be running back two over Elijah Mitchell? And Matt, I think that it's, I think that's just an incorrect framing of the situation. I don't think that the 49ers are looking at this as pure running back two. I think that McCaffrey is obviously a clear cut number one because he's a superstar, 
But behind that, uh, just look at how the 49ers ran the running back position uh, in years prior before they had the clear-cut superstar. There was a committee-like approach to things, right? They they would mix and match running backs, and I think they're ready to mix and match running backs now, especially since Mitchell hits the edge really well for the outside zone and since Jordan Mason is 225-plus pounds and he's a bruiser. So I don't think that the 49ers are looking at this as running back two, running back three. I think they're looking at this in terms of, okay, where are our comparative strengths and how can we keep both of these guys fresh in the event that Christian McCaffrey can't go uh, so that we could uh, inflict the maximum amount of efficient punishment on defenses. So to me, it, it's, it's a split type of situation. And, and I think that it makes total sense with the skill sets that the 49ers have in both uh, Elijah Mitchell and Jordan Mason. Yeah, I mean, um, look what the 49ers did the last time they played a, a blitz-heavy defense. It was a uh, it was a big Debo Samuel game, um, and it was a lot of uh, short, quick passes, a lot of screens to sort of use that aggress- aggression against the defense. Um, I would say that that Mitchell is probably a little bit better in that regard than uh, than Mason. Um, he's uh, he's a good receiver. We saw that a lot early on in, in camp. Um, some some deep balls to Elijah Mitchell too down the seam, so he he gives you that element. I do think that Mason um, is um, a, a lot better in that regard as a as a pass catcher. I mean, I, I think that that is a uh, a real credit to him. Um, you can see how hard he worked to be more functional in the passing game. I mean, he was barely used as a pass catcher at Georgia Tech. Uh, the same with T- Ty Davis Price at LSU. Uh, these guys were primarily very much runners only. Um, and uh, because they're now in a Christian McCaffrey offense, one that's based on him, they really had to learn route running. They had to learn uh, blitz pickup. They had to learn how to catch better, uh, all that stuff. Uh, and uh, like I said, they've, they've done a lot better than at, at that. I do think that Mitchell is the uh, is the better guy, and as you noted, he's the the outside zone guy. That's uh, that's something that the 49ers really like about him. That's a staple of their uh, of their offense of their rushing attack. So, um, yeah, if I had to guess who has more carries at the end of the day, I'd say it's going to be Elijah Mitchell. We have another question here from Sherley R. There have been discussions about Purdy's hand size, nine and a half inches, not being ideal in rain games. But how does Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes do it? They have relatively the same hand size. Kenny Pickett wears gloves. You know, I'm, Matt, I'm still, I know this has been a point of discussion all week. I'm still looking for the first quarterback that's better when it's wet, when it's raining. Uh, I mean, this is some of this discussion, the, the way that people have framed it is like Brock Purdy is the only quarterback uh, that's struggled in wet weather. And it's not like Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow are somehow better when when the football is wet and it's harder to grip. Uh, you go back to Joe Montana and Steve Young. They they notoriously struggled in rain games. That's just something that is part of football, right? If if it's not clear weather, if it's not sunny, clear weather, it's going to be harder for a quarterback to grip the ball and harder for an offense to operate. I think that's true with with everyone, especially for the guys that don't have gigantic hands. And uh, as the commenter mentioned, Burrow, Mahomes, Purdy, all relatively uh, same hand size. So I just, what, what I don't understand, there's, there seems to be some kind of 
aversion to just giving the Browns some credit in this game. You know, uh, this has been a historically good defense that the 49ers faced. The Browns gave up 1,002 yards through six games, which is the third fewest since 1970. There have been like 1,500 teams since 1970. So this Cleveland defense is doing something really, really right. And yes, Brock Purdy probably struggled to grip the ball a little bit when it started raining in Cleveland. But that's a universal problem for quarterbacks. Like it, it's just the, the dynamics of uh, water and, and a slippery football. It's harder to grip, right? I think the 49ers ran into a defense that is just on a torrid start right now that was pressuring Purdy, that was creating situations where even on the plays where he wasn't pressured, he uh, was struggling with his accuracy. And I acknowledge that, that the wet weather probably had a little bit to do with that. I just don't think that the wet weather is really the story here since it would be a variable that would affect any quarterback in this situation. And the one truly special variable, Matt, on Sunday was the Cleveland Browns defense. And I think that it's time that people give them their flowers and and give them some credit because they truly have been fantastic to begin this season. John Lynch alluded to this earlier when he was on the radio, but Brock Purdy has created a very high bar for Brock Purdy. Uh, he was so good in uh, the the previous starts that um, anything that wasn't at that level is going to be scrutinized, um, you know, to to all ends, and that's exactly what's happened in this game. And and yeah, I, the rain had had a had an effect. <laughs> he lost the handle uh, completely on one throw, and several others were very unpurdy. Like uh, there's that deep one to to George Kittle that just sort of died. Um, and went off course, and there was another one to Ayuk that did the same. So um, he was having trouble with it, and and I think maybe the point that readers are making is that he was having trouble. That it didn't seem like PJ Walker was having the same sort of trouble. Although I have to say, PJ Walker did not have a great game, um, and and missed several open um, uh, receivers, especially on that late drive, and then almost threw an interception in the end zone on their, on their last drive. So, um, and what about that fumble that wasn't right at the end of the first half? Yeah, right. That that, that, that would have been four turnovers that had broken it a different way. Yeah. I mean, you, you frame the two quarterbacks on the outcome of the game. So it seems like PJ Walker had a nice game and it seems like, uh, Brock Purdy had a terrible game when really they were very similar games. Um, and one guy ended up winning, because uh, the opponent's uh, field goal kicker missed a kick. So, I mean, um, it's all perspective. Um, uh, I do think that maybe the next time there's a rain game, you see Brock Purdy wearing a glove. Joe Burrow wore a glove uh, earlier this year in Cleveland, because it was raining in Cleveland at that point, too. Uh, and he's worn a glove in the past at Iowa State during during rain games. Uh, Sunday's game, and, and David, you were there. I wasn't. Um, it seemed like, you know, it was raining for, for part of the game and okay for other parts. So uh, I guess it's hard to commit one way or the other when it's just as uh, as variable as, as it was in Cleveland on Sunday. Yeah, it's it, when you looked at, at the way that this game played out in the weather, Cleveland is notorious there for being you know, right on that lake. The wind is coming off of Lake Erie. Uh, it, it was it was pretty crummy weather all weekend while we were there. Uh, hardly saw any sun. And what I noticed walking around 
the stadium and briefly I, I got to check out the field before the start of the game. What I noticed is that the the weather and, and especially the wind patterns were different at, at different spots. And I think this ended up playing into the Jake Moody situation late in the game. There was wind probably 10 to 20 feet above the field, but there wasn't wind on the actual field. So you had different flags and different wind markers at different spots of the stadium that were yielding different results. So, I mean, it's there's a reason why Cleveland is known as a tough weather place to play, and I think that it showed up in both the, the 49ers pass game with Brock Purdy and in their kicking game with Jake Moody. And, you know, it's probably a good time to turn the, the subject to Jake Moody because a lot of people are talking about that. Matt, it, quite frankly, I think the 49ers were realistic when they used the, the third-round pick on this guy. They, they they knew that he probably wouldn't be perfect, especially at the start of his NFL career. I look at it a lot like the, the Trey Lance situation when they started him in 2022. They were very open about Trey probably not, not being what they thought that he could become until later in the season. And they said the rest of the roster is going to have to uh, do a little more. So you're going to have to pick up Trey Lance early, and then hopefully he develops into what we want him to develop into. That's what Kyle Shanahan said in 2022. Obviously, that was all completely thrown off track when Trey Lance was hurt in week two for the rest of the season. But I see a similar philosophy with Jake Moody, albeit he's way further along than Trey Lance ever was uh, because of the college experience that he has right and he started the season nine of nine and he missed his first game winning kick in cleveland so now he's nine of 11 because he also missed a 54 yarder but to me the question of jake moody uh has always been how would he bounce back from the first adversity that he faced at the nfl level and we don't have an answer to that question yet i think that the struggles we're, we're built into to the plan here for the 49ers. And unfortunately, it lost them a football game in Cleveland. But uh, we just heard John Lynch talk about it. They're, they're not panicking about it at all. They, they want to see how he responds to this. And they think that the bet that they've made is that he's going to respond to this positively. And they hope that by the time that the playoffs roll around, he's going to have a Rolodex of, of NFL stadiums. Uh, I, he's actually keeping a written log. I talked to Jake Moody about this at, in the locker room yesterday. He's keeping a, a log of all the stadiums that he kicks in and win patterns and all that. They hope that by the end of this season, uh, he's going to be a completely different kicker knowledge-wise about the NFL than he is at the start of it, and they'll be able to count on him in the playoffs. Is it a gamble? Of course it is, but um, I, I don't think that you could determine the success or failure in of the gamble based on his first adversity. Uh, which was that miss against the Browns? Yeah, I, I think the the issue that a lot of people have, and you know, this was, um, you know, not not new. This was, you know, something that was raised back in the spring when they were going through the draft process and working out all these kickers. Is that, yeah, I mean, you expect a rookie kicker to have issues, and and Jake Moody has been better than the average rookie kicker so far, but. Um, do you bring in a rookie kicker knowing that a rookie kicker is going to have issues, knowing that he doesn't have that log built uh, on how to kick in Cleveland, how to kick in Philadelphia, how to kick uh, in Seattle uh, quite yet uh, because he is a rookie on a team that, you know, expects to go deep into the playoffs and, and that and a team that is um, 
has stated time and time again that their objective right now is to get home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So um, that home field advantage in some of these games is going to hinge on the rookie kicker. So that's sort of the this this gamble, um, and and it, it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Uh, and and Lynch said it this morning on KNBR. He said that was a decision for the now and for the future. His emphasis being on you know we're we think that Jake Moody is going to be terrific for this team uh, for a long long time, and and he's probably right, but but it's the now. That is, uh, you know, is at the forefront because this is such a good team. Uh, so that's the that's the tightrope that this team decided, you know, a long time ago. They made this decision, I'm sure, back in February, March. Um, that's when they were doing all these workouts. That's when they weren't signing uh, Robbie Gold, all this stuff. So it was a big decision back then. Uh, the chickens are coming home to roost now. Uh, and you're right. It's going to be really the end of the season where uh, the the rubber meets the road on this decision. Um, and um, you know, we, we can't say that Jake Moody's track record at Michigan uh, was very good. Um, he wasn't perfect at Michigan, but uh, when it really came time to be crunch time, he was good in the rain, in adverse situations. Um, that, that was sort of the surprise to me. I mean, you, that, the, the Browns play in Big Ten country. That's where Jake Moody grew up. He grew up in Michigan. Bad winters, uh, crappy field, lots of wind, ice, everything. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, uh, it, it was, I don't know whether the conditions played a role or not, but uh, you would think that he would excel in the upper Midwest and, um, and he didn't. And and that's the bottom line. So you're right. We'll have to see how he bounces back, but, uh, it does underscore that big gamble that the 49ers decided to make way back in, in the winter, really. Yeah. I mean, they they took a big bet and I I think with a big bet there, there needs to be just a a lot of runway to to figure out if that bet was, was worth it or not. It was never just going to be a one game, Thing. I think this one game illustrated the potential downsides, but it didn't determine that the bet was a failure, right? I think it was a good representation of what could go wrong here with uh, Jake Moody. That being said, Robbie Gold missed a 41-yard game winner indoors last year against Las Vegas. The difference was it was a tie game. The 49ers weren't down at the time, so Gold got another chance in overtime and he ended up making it so it's not like Robbie Gold was perfect on potential game-winning tries he was perfect in the playoffs though and that's where Moody's gonna have to be nails to to make sure that this is worth it I think the 49ers also see potential upside from Moody over Robbie Gold for some of the longer kicks I know he missed the 54 yarder against Cleveland but what we saw from Gold was a, a diminishing success rate uh, in, re- in the regular season on some of the longer field goals. And the 49ers, uh, toward the end, they weren't even trying some of the very longest ones with Robbie Gold, who was already on the wrong side of 40. So they wanted to freshen up that kicker position. They uh, you know, risked some of the shorter kick and intermediate kick reliability, obviously, because Robbie Gold definitely still had that. And th- they said, hey, we, we want to see if we can push this forward into the future for the long term was with a young, fresh leg. 
And that obviously also plays into the kickoff situation, which the 49ers are trying to attack with, with directional kicks so far this season. So jury's still out. We're going to see more Jake Moody. One other thing the 49ers have to improve, Matt, is the run defense. This is what I got to write about early in the week, but uh, this is the number 25 run defense right now in the NFL for the 49ers based on EPA per play. They finished in the top two in each of the past two seasons, number one in 2021, number two in 2022. So uh, they only have 15 sacks, which ranks number 15 in the NFL. The reason behind that is other teams are attacking them with screen passes, with the short passing game, but also because other teams are successfully running the ball against them. The Rams for a half were able to do it. Arizona, essentially for the whole game, was able to run efficiently against the 49ers. And now the Cleveland Browns were able to do it, 160 yards. And that allowed them to wrestle away control of game flow. A lot of traps from the Browns, the Jerome Ford 22-yard run, took advantage of the 49ers' over-aggressiveness, trying to penetrate there toward the end of the game. And then there was a, a, a lot of stuff to Kareem Hunt off the edge, including the touchdown run that the 49ers just weren't able to defend with the, in the way that, that they've usually been able to defend the run. So this team needs to circle the wagons and figure out a way to deliver some better run defense moving forward uh, because this might be a defensive-oriented game against the Minnesota Vikings considering the fact that the majority of the, the injury report is on the offensive side of the football. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Yeah, a lot of outside runs uh, by the Browns, and I think that that caught the 49ers by surprise because most teams don't attempt a lot of those uh, against them. Um, I do think that Dre Greenlaw not being there um, uh, affected things. I mean, Greenlaw is known for getting to the edges, getting to the sideline. He's so fast. He's so aggressive. And and he didn't practice on, on Thursday either. Um, and this is after on, on Monday – um, Kyle Shanahan saying that he was expected back at practice. So I would expect him to practice today. If he doesn't practice today, I, I think that's a sign that he had a, uh, a setback, uh, with that, with that hamstring. And, and he's been sort of off and on all, uh, all season so far. Um, ankle, hamstring. I think it was hamstring in the summer too. I can't remember whether it was hamstring or groin, but, um, uh, that, that's been a bit of an issue. And, and I'm not saying that Oren Burks had a bad game. Um, I, he, he ran down a, uh, a wide receiver from Amari uh, Cooper from behind and saved a touchdown. Um, he had a, had a pretty good game, but uh, Drake Greenlaw is the starter for a reason. I think that that helps in a big way. I think the 49ers need better play from the cornerback on that side. 
And a lot of times they were running towards D'Amador Lenore's side of the field. So um, fixable things, I think, for the 49ers. Uh, but you're right. I mean, no Justin Jefferson in Minnesota. Um, I think that uh, um, and, and Fred Warner, Nick Bosa, the rest of those guys have, have said this, and they've said it repeatedly since Sunday. Teams are going to watch what the Browns did against the 49ers, and they're going to um, copy that. That's going to be a template for uh, at least the next few games. So uh, I think the 49ers can expect to see Madison and whoever is out there in the uh, in the Vikings backfield uh, trying to replicate some of the runs that they saw in Cleveland. The, uh, the Vikings have the number 25 ranked run offense so far this year, which happens to match the 49ers number 25 ranked run defense. Kirk Cousins, the quarterback, obviously there's been a lot of Shanahan Cousins talk again. There always is at this time. I think people have generally pushed Cousins to the 49ers in 2024 to the back burner ever since Brock Purdy got off to the good start. But Kirk is scheduled to be a free agent next year. He's number two in the NFL in passing yards, but it, it is a situation that underscores the flaw of just looking at raw yardage, Matt, because all the efficiency stats have, have uh, Cousins at like number 16. And you look at the Vikings on third down, they're in the bottom half of the league. You look at them on red zone conversion rate, they're in the bottom half of the league. So the numbers also do indicate when you take a little bit of a deeper look at them that this has been a lot of garbage yardage for Kirk Cousins this year. I saw a breakdown of different efficiencies against different types of coverage the other day, and Kirk Cousins has been in negative efficiency against most types of coverage except for cover six, which is, you know, it's going to be more of a prevent defense. Teams that are just out there not really worried about the run game or just uh, probably playing some softer defense and Kirk Cousins has been really really efficient against that type of defense but not against anything else so to me Matt the formula is simple and it always boils down to some version of this but if the 49ers continue to stop Minnesota's run game and they haven't run very well this season then they can force down and distance situations that are in their advantage and if the 49ers force those types of down and distance situations Kirk Cousins has not shown the ability this year uh, to be an efficient quarterback. Uh, it, it, you know that that really moves the needle, and when when, the, when his back is up against the wall, or when stuff isn't perfectly on schedule. So keep Minnesota off schedule on first and second downs, and then uh, force an offense that's been relatively poor on third downs to go to work in those situations. It's a decent offensive line for Minnesota, but again, you said no Justin Jefferson. I think that takes away a lot of the potential third down explosiveness. And uh, I think the 49ers will be okay. They just have to make sure that they take Cousins off of his platform with better run defenses than they've shown through the first six weeks of the season. Yeah, um, to underscore the sacrifice that uh, we make for this um, podcast each week, David and I watched Vikings at Bears. <laughs> at least I did. I did last night. Vikings at Bears. Uh, it was not a pretty game. Um, and uh, the Vikings pulled it out uh, in large part to a uh, defensive touchdown, uh, fumble and uh, you know, scoop and score situation. But I mean, uh, yeah, Cousins uh, top target was uh, TJ Hawkinson, the, the tight end. And they weren't, you know, it wasn't George Kittle-like plays where, you know, Hawkinson is running for 65 yards after the, the catch. These were 
you know, behind the sticks types of throws. So it was a plotting offense uh, for, for most of the game for them. Um, and, and, you know, that the 49ers w- would love that. I mean, the 49ers MO so far has to, been to get out to uh, a quick lead and then to watch the opponent uh, abandon the running game. And, and to me, that that was a big part of uh, of Cleveland's formula for victory. They didn't they didn't stop running. I mean, I think a lot of teams have had success or relative success running running against the 49ers. They just didn't do it in the second half. The Browns ran 19 times in the second half. That's by far the most this season uh, because the game was so tight, because the 49ers offense was sputtering, because that opening drive uh, was the only, um, you know, really good uh, uh, drive of the game for them. Uh, the, the second best one was the last drive. Uh, and they came up empty points wise. So um, I think that the uh, 49ers offense is going to have a big bearing on how the uh, the 49ers defense looks in this one. It's going to be a fun one, I think. I can't wait to see that building in Minnesota. I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier. You've been there before. Uh, I, I know 2018 was the last time the 49ers played there in the regular season. They played there in the preseason last year. Brock Purdy actually had a nice outing wearing the number 14. That was back before he officially made the 49ers 53-man roster and switched to to the number 13. But uh, in 2018, that was actually the first game of the Kirk Cousins era in Minnesota. And it was the first game of the Jimmy Garoppolo era post-contract signing. Because remember, the 49ers, initially their plan in 2017 when Kyle Shanahan took over was have Brian Hoyer as a placeholder for the 2017 season. He was not a long-term quarterback solution. And they wanted to go after Kirk Cousins in free agency. But then Jimmy Garoppolo fell into their laps and obviously played really well in the final five games of 2017. So they re-signed Garoppolo, did not pursue Cousins. Minnesota signed Cousins instead. And then it just so happened that those two QBs faced off against each other in the season opener. And it was a big win for Minnesota, a resounding win. I remember the 49ers having major, major O-line issues in that game. It was Mike McGlinchey's uh, career debut, and he ended up having to play right guard for the first time since he was playing Pop Warner because Joshua Garnett got hurt, and McGlinchey had to slide in from right tackle, right guard, and it just turned into a complete mess. Uh, Garoppolo threw, I believe, a pick six. It was either a pick six or just a big interception late there in the first half. Threw a nice touchdown pass to Dante Pettis, remember him? Uh, but that was a part of a comeback attempt that the 49ers could never uh, fully complete. I remember Solomon Thomas jumped off sides there in the fourth quarter, and that sealed the game for the Vikings. So anyway, 49ers headed back to the nice building in Minnesota this week. Uh, Matt, what do you think is going to happen? I, I, I'm My prediction right now is erring on the side of the 49ers not having all their full repertoire offensively due to the injuries. So I think that the 49ers defense is going to have to really step up in this game. I think Minnesota has been a mediocre team at best so far this year. They're two and four. Some of the metrics indicate that they've been really unlucky. They've had nine lost fumbles, for example, which leads to NFL. But other metrics indicate that while they've been unlucky, that they've still been mediocre, right? Like maybe that unlucky stretch has, has, uh, caused an extra loss and otherwise they'd be three and three so with that considered I think the 49ers are clearly a few cuts above the Vikings and I do think that even if there are 
you know, some of these absences on the offensive side due to the injury. I think that the 49ers defense has a lot of motivation. And I think that Kirk Cousins doesn't have a run game. And I think that the 49ers can make a defensive statement with a, a day of extra rest on Monday night football. And I think that may be what they have to do to win this game. So my prediction is going to be 23 to 10. 49ers are going to really just snuff out Minnesota. I, I do have to also mention, Matt, that Minnesota blitzes more than anybody else in the NFL. I'm actually writing about that right now. Brian Flores, he, he brought a ton of blitzes against the 49ers in 2020 when he was in charge of Miami. Now he's Minnesota's defensive coordinator. There's a boomer bust potential when there are that many blitzes, but Brock Birdie has shown that he can handle the blitzes. And I think that it won't be as easy if he's missing some players. So that's why I don't think the offensive output's going to be crazy for the 49ers. But I do think that the defense is going to get this done for San Francisco. So my prediction is 23 to 10. Brian Flores reminds me of that, that game you just alluded to. And I'm having trouble pulling the name in the corner. Brian Allen. Kind of thrust Brian Allen. Yeah. <laughs> the Brian Allen game. The Brian yeah. Allen game. Yeah. I, don't, I, I think the 49ers are dodging a, a bullet because Brian Allen won't be appearing for them in this game on Sunday. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's the last time they, they, they faced Brian Flores. I mean, I was watching the, the bears Vikings game and yeah, the Vikings were, were blitzing. It wasn't sort of the crazy blitzing that we saw in the giants game though. Um, it seemed like it was just usually one extra pass rusher and sometimes they're lining five up on the line and, and the 49ers see that quite a bit. Uh, so they have answers for that, I, but I, I agree with you. Um, I, th- I thought that the the Vikings were better than the Bears, who are one of the worst teams in the league, but um, not not considerably better. So they're they're either, as you say, mediocre or slightly below mediocre. Um, I thought that the the Browns were, you know, pretty much in that overall. When you count their offense into it, we're in the same realm, and we saw uh, the Browns, um, you know, per. Uh, Kevin Stefanski bring the 49ers back into the muck with them, and so that's the that's the risk when you're playing uh, 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 a team that's not as talented. That team kind of drags you down to their level. The Cleveland Browns did that with utmost su- success on Sunday. The 49ers have to avoid that. And I think it you know it's about getting off to a fast start, getting points on the board, and putting uh, Kirk Cousins behind the eight ball. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm going to go with a under 30 point score. I think that the, the 49ers, uh, get back on track. I think it's going to be 27, um, 27, 17, 27, 17. And, you know, as far as getting off the hot start, I, one of the comments here from John T is 49ers won't see a defensive line like Cleveland's again. I don't think they're going to see a defense like Cleveland's again. Seriously, look it up. We've been posting about it online. I put it in some of my articles. I think Matt, I have those XY drafts that I find online and I embed them. And I think I shared one of them on Slack last week of Cleveland's defense where they're all the way to the right and all the way up. And you were like, oh, that looks like a balloon floated away. That's where Cleveland is on the, on the graph compared to everybody else. So I think, you know, it was just a really, really good defense last week that, really set the tone of that football game. And it led to a, a point where the 49ers made enough mistakes that, that they, they led a team with a deficient offense and PJ Walker beat them. But it was the defense that 
uh, I think was was the tone setter for the Browns. And, and the Vikings don't have that type of tone setter on either side of the ball. They don't have that type of defense. They don't have that type of offense. So the 49ers need to take advantage of that, and they need to set the tone themselves this week. And, you know, I thought they set a decent early tone without opening drive last week, but then they were never able to just stomp on on the Browns, right? They had a chance to make it 10 nothing or 14. Uh, well, they missed the first field goal. It would have made it 10 nothing. They had a couple chances to, to bust it wide open with a 14 nothing lead early, but they couldn't connect. I know Brandon Ayuk drop was part of that. I know that Christian McCaffrey was open and Brock Purdy missed him. So you just have to capitalize on your opportunities in the NFL, especially against really good teams or against good defenses, I guess I should say, last week. And the 49ers didn't capitalize on those opportunities. So now is going to be another chance for this team against a, a mediocre Minnesota team, for sure. This is not a great Minnesota team, but a chance in prime time for them to, to snuff out any hope of an upset early. So we'll see what ends up happening. Malik says, blowout city. 38 to 13. Um, we have another comment that says, can't wait to see how Purdy responds. So um, it's just one of those situations this week where the 49ers have to bounce back from their first loss. And we're going to get to see how this team bounces back from a loss for the first time in a really long time because there was the Philadelphia NFC Championship game loss, but that ended the season. So we didn't get to see the 49ers for about eight or nine months. And now uh, this is going to be the first time that they play coming off a loss since the Kansas City game last year. And that was the Rams game, right, where McCaffrey scored those three touchdowns. You don't know if we're going to see McCaffrey, but it is the one-year anniversary of the 49ers trading for McCaffrey today. Matt, any uh, any final thoughts about this 49ers game coming up against the Vikings? No, other than what you just uh, said, that the, the 49ers um, um, have been good at bouncing back from these things. Uh, very veteran team. Uh, Fred Warner saying, doing all the right things. He's really become the voice of that team. Um, and uh, I think that's that's a very good thing. So uh, I expect them to uh, be uh, in control, um, you know, maybe without their usual weaponry, which kind of keeps the score a little bit more muted than normal. Um, but uh, I think it's going to be a, uh, a win for the 49ers. Yep, and and a chance for the defense to correct some of its issues and shine. Despite its issues, by the way, despite the fact that run defense hasn't been good, they're the number two pass defense behind only Cleveland. And you can only imagine how much better it could be if they find a way to tighten up against the run. That could only benefit the pass defense because the sacks and the pressures and all that will go up. So there's plenty for the 49ers to work on. That makes it interesting here. They're 5-1. and one. Tied for that number one seed in the NFC right now with Detroit and Philadelphia moving forward. All right, for Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. This has been another 49ers Here's the Catch episode, live room style. Enjoyed everybody's questions. We will talk to you next time.